Today's episode is sponsored by ChrisTaylorRacing.com. Welcome to Driven to Compete. I'm Kerry Rouse, and I travel to racetracks around the U.S., where I interview members of the racing community and share their stories as a form of inspiration for our community. I am here today with Mike Skeen. I originally met Mike at a BMW CCA racing event at VIR maybe three or four weeks ago. Um, and uh, super, super nice guy, incredible driver. I think I had four or five people in the paddock saying I had to talk to you. And uh, I know we got a, a little chance to talk there, but I'm glad we got a, more of an opportunity here. So we can share a little bit about your story. So you do a lot of things with uh, the racing community right now. So tell us, tell everybody a little bit about what team you're on, what things you're doing, um, you know, what's going on for you right now. So this year uh, I'm driving for Team Korthoff uh, Motorsports and IMSA. Uh, that's a Mercedes AMG GT3 um, in the GTD class. Uh, I co-drive with Mick Grenier over there, and then I do some TA2 races this year on a part-time basis when it when, you know, fits between the IMSA races uh, for Peterson Racing, and then uh, you know, I do a ton of coaching for different customers and all sorts of different series um, and you know, privateer guys at track days and you know, all kinds of stuff. Uh, I was just at the Radical Cup race at Barber this weekend and um, going to Watkins this weekend, you know, so... Um, all over the place, all the time, lots of tracks, um, very busy moving around coaching guys, but it's a good time. Cool. Um, so, um, on the, on the racing that you're doing, um, what, can you tell a little bit more about, I mean, in terms of when you're coaching, do you, do you coach anybody on any type of discipline or is it just road racing? Yeah, pretty much just road racing. Um, there have been occasions where, um, you know, I've done some other types of racing, um, but certainly the road racing and more GT car stuff is my specialty. I've done, you know, a fair amount of LMP3 prototype stuff, but um, mostly the GT car style stuff or, you know, track day guys with street, you know, sports cars, street cars. Cool. Where are you located at? I'm in Charlotte. You're in Charlotte, but you get everywhere. <laughs> yeah, go all over the place. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about how all of this started for you. When, when, how did you start first dipping your toes into anything related to racing? I mean, as a little kid, I was all about it. My dad was a car guy, um, not like in the industry, he's, um, in the Navy at the time. And, um, he was, he and his dad were both, you know, just car nuts and loved it. And my dad got into BMW club right you know, before I was around and, um, so I would just, you know, love all that stuff and want to be in the garage working on stuff and got a go-kart early on for Christmas one year and played around the neighborhood driving that. And my dad actually started racing carts, um, right before I was old enough to do it. So following him to the track and working on his cart in the garage and stuff and getting, you know, a taste of it there. And then also, you know, just driving his cart and, um, he had, through him and, you know, some guys we knew at the track, they had kids that had racing carts. And so I got to drive there some and, uh, quickly decided that was something I wanted to do and, uh, started doing like organized karting when I was 10, did a few years of that. And then we moved pretty close to VIR 
and I started doing some track days when I was like 17 and uh, just all snowballed from there. I built a NASA Specky 30 car when I was like 19, maybe 20, something like that, and did a couple years of that and um, just was all in anything I could find that would be an opportunity to do more racing or higher level racing. I was going after it. And um, so, you know, just found my way into doing some uh, driving for other guys and bigger cars and bigger series and did some Trans Am. And, uh, and that was 2009, my first year doing some Trans Am races and made some good impressions on people in the paddock and found more opportunities doing that. And uh, from there, World Challenge and uh, just all kept snowballing from there. So when would you say was that like there was a transition from, you know, for me, uh, I love racing, but I don't make money. I spend money. So at what point would you say in your, your career, your timeline, where you felt like you transitioned from you're only spending money to where you, now you're, you're making it either by um, getting opportunities for rides or you're coaching folks? Yeah. Um, well, I started coaching folks um, pretty early, <clears throat> you know, kind of informally. Um, I was doing a lot of instruction and stuff at track days, and that kind of taught me how to teach or how to, you know, tell people what I was doing. And, um, and so from there, it kind of grew as I was doing more of the NASA Specky 30 stuff and doing really well there. There were other guys in that class that wanted, you know, help. And so I started doing some kind of formal coaching there, I guess. And along the same timeline, I was doing um, some, you know, racing school instruction stuff and like, um, you know, manufacturer ride and drive programs. So doing like the AMG school back then. Um, and so I guess it was around there, like right after high school, I did a, a year at Georgia Tech in college and um, was like trying to do both, you know, trying to do racing and school and um, was spending so much time on the racing and trying to be at the racetrack on weekends and stuff, wasn't putting everything into the school stuff. And so after that first year, I was like, well, I'm just gonna, give it all I got in the racing thing right now and see if I can make it work and I can always come back to school. Um, and so got an opportunity to, you know, do more like professional instruction there. Um, and got a gig with the Richard Petty driving experience doing not their stock car program, but they were managing the AMG and a couple other brands of ride and drive programs there. So started spending more time and I guess making it more of a, you know, a living doing it then and making it more professional and um, just started finding also more private clients to do, you know, track day instruction and stuff with. So I guess that was kind of the point where it started, you know, I had to make it, you know, start making a little bit of money and do something. Um, and also found, you know, some sponsors covering my NASA racing and stuff like that. So that's where it kind of started to turn the corner. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So just, you know, within one year of college, about that time is when you made that transition. So that's yeah. fantastic. So now what's a given week look for you? Like, I mean, do you, are you on the track every single day or, or, or close to it? <laughs> Not quite every single day, but, um, many days a week. Yeah. I, I would say on average, I'm kind of home like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then go to a racetrack Thursday to Sunday or something like that. Um, you know, it varies a lot. Like this coming week, I'm going to be on track Wednesday, Thursday, and then back and actually have a weekend off, which is unusual during the year. But, um, yeah. And especially, you know, until the fall, like all the way through the summer, it's, you know, basically every weekend I'm pretty much gone. 
Um, but yeah, I would say, you know, something like three to five days a week, I'm somewhere, um, at some racetrack doing something. Gotcha. Now, when you do your coaching, can you do that remotely or virtually with your clients or does it all need to be in person? We can do some. Um, yeah. So most of what I do is in person. There are some customers that I have that will send me videos and I'll review them and send them back some commentary. Um, and now there is a little bit more, you know, the technology capable to do live stuff, but a lot of these racetracks also don't have great data. So, you know, trying to do live streams and stuff can be problematic. Um, but certainly, you know, same day turnaround or, you know, similar for like sending me video and I'll try to review it and send it back. Or, you know, sometimes just after the weekend, they'll send me something and I'll get it back to them in a week or two. Um, but yeah, so there's, there's the possibility of doing remote coaching stuff, but I don't do as much of that as I do in person. Yep. So I, I know when we talked last, you told me some things that blew my mind. Um, one about Pikes Peak and the Baja 1000. So tell me a little bit about each of those. Yeah, so um, I think Baja was first for me. I, we When I was in World Challenge, starting from 2010, uh, the sponsor we had there uh, on the car in World Challenge, we had Craiger and Hawk Brakes, but the parent company was Carlisle and they owned some off-road tire companies and stuff. So there was this crossover where they were supporting some off-road teams and um, a few people, you know, from the company were going over there and doing the, the Baja stuff and asked if I'd want to join. I was all about it. So got the chance to do it two years in a row. And uh, it was a blast. The first year we did a class one buggy, which is a monster, you know, big LS powered buggy and lots of travel and a ton of fun. Uh, unfortunately you're just going up against really big teams and it's, you know, it's like bringing a knife to a gunfight unless you're in a really strong program. So that was more just for the experience. And then the next year we went back in a lower class car, but we could be more competitive in that um, class. So uh, class 18, which was then an unlimited UTV buggy, uh, which basically meant that it just had a UTV drivetrain and everything else was open. <laughs> Um, and so we had a, a good car for that one and won that year. And then Pikes Peak, I've also done twice, um, separated out a little bit more, but the first year we did it in a Nissan GTR, which was uh, an old world challenge car that we had had. And it just never quite fit the world challenge program and wasn't super successful there, but we could upgrade it a little bit and run Pikes Peak a little bit more aero, a little more power. And, uh, it, it did really well there. We went under 10 minutes in our first attempt there and, won our class and was rookie of the year. And so it was, a, that was a great experience. And then went back later and did the, uh, GT4 Porsche, you know, challenge class and had a lot of fun doing that. Um, but yeah, both of those races are just incredible experiences and, uh, you know, a big change from what I do normally and a lot of fun. So especially for the Baja one, it, it's, you know, it's, it's totally different. The terrain is totally different. Did you, have to put in any kind of training ahead of time or some practice? Like, do you get any uh, visibility of the course ahead of time or are you just like prepared for anything? You kind of have to be prepared for anything. We did go down like maybe a week in advance and do some pre-running and see some of our sections of the course. We didn't get to run every mile, um, but did get to see a fair amount of the course that we'd be doing. And most of that was in different buggies. And then we did like short runs of the race vehicle just to get used to that one. Um, but it was mostly just drive by sight, you know, anything that you're seeing, 
is what you're taking in and, and adapting to. And you have a co-driver and, you know, they've got a little GPS screen that gives you some direction of where you're going and whether there's big obstacles or something that are marked um, on the GPS. But um, for the most part, you know, they're just telling you go left, go right. There's not really a lot of detail about how much or you know, what the terrain's like in that corner. So you're just driving line of sight, what you can deal with. And, uh, that, that in itself is a lot of fun, um, and a big challenge, but also the vehicle dynamics are so different just because of the suspension. So soft to absorb stuff like the weight transfer is a lot different than in anything else I drive. And so learning how to manage that, you know, best was interesting and, a lot of fun, but yeah, it was all a good time. Well, it sounds like you learned all that in the, in the week prior. <laughs> we didn't <laughs> yeah, have a chance to drive it any other time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It would have been fun to do more. Um, and, and, you know, it's been on my bucket list to go back to it anytime I can. Um, it's just a ton of fun and yeah, I would love to do more of it whenever it fits into the schedule. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. What about the Pikes Peak? part do you do you do some runs ahead of time to understand and try to learn and i don't know memorize the the track or or not really yeah uh so that one's tough because there aren't that many opportunities to get up there and run it at speed obviously you can go up there anytime and just drive up at 20 miles an hour in a streetcar, but it's not quite the same and you don't get the line of sight the same because you're not going over the center line of the road and stuff so um you can put eyes on it at slow speed and see it um which you do, you know, many times that race week or whatever. And we actually had gone up a couple months ahead of time and just driven it, you know, on in a rental car just to see it a little bit extra. But I did a lot of video review and um, kind of, you know, pick a good video like Sebastian Loeb's record run and just sit there and take notes like rally style notes of, you know, six left, three right, that kind of thing. And, um, and wrote down all that. And then I would watch the video running through the notes and until I could, you know, run them through in my head without looking at the notes. So, um, yeah, I did a, a whole lot of homework to make sure I knew the course going up there. It's, you know, like I said, roughly a 10 minute run and I think it's 156 corners or something like that. And lots of them look very similar going in, but change, you know, the camber or they tighten up or whatever, you know, so you really have to know what you're dealing with. Um, and don't, you know, mistake one for another because it could end up pretty bad. Um, but, it's just a great experience. And that one I think is a bit more of a challenge to me than Baja because you're, you're trying to push 10 tenths the whole way. Whereas Baja, it's, it's a long endurance thing where you're just trying not to, you're, you're pushing as much as you can without hurting the equipment, you know, for the most part. Um, so you're not like absolutely 10 tenths in the Baja stuff, um, but you're really trying to push for everything at Pikes Peak. So you mentioned a uh, couple of these, you know, bucket list. What else do you have on your bucket list? What do you want to do in the future? I mean, for me, a lot of it's like, you know, some of the big endurance races around the world, like the Nürburgring 24 hour, Le Mans, um, the Bathurst 12 hour, some of these huge races, the Spa 24. Um, 
those kind of things would be a lot of fun to go and do and experience and win, of course. Um, some of the races here that I've done, but not won yet, or, you know, just been on the podium, but not won, uh, like Daytona or Sebring would be, uh, certainly high on the list to do. Um, but yeah, I'm enjoying what I'm doing, doing GTD full time as a blast and, uh, really can't complain too much. So any other, other than the, the, the Baja 1000 and the Pikes Peak wins, uh, any, any other wins really stand out for you as memorable and, um, never forget them. Yeah. I mean, certainly a lot of the world challenge wins we had, uh, were amazing. Uh, I think 2014, we had a sweep at road America winning both races on the weekend with a Audi that was new to us that year. That was pretty special. Um, winning uh, at VIR and World Challenge a couple of years later uh, with Lone Star it was a, a good battle with some of the uh, Bentleys and stuff that weekend. And we came out on top and um, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, like I said, some podiums at Daytona and Sebring are pretty high on the list, um, but definitely, you know, I uh, would love to finish one of these out with a championship. I haven't done that yet in IMSA and uh, won the, you know, TA two championship back in 2020, that was a pretty big one for me. Um, super competitive class over there, the racing's super tight. And, um, so coming out on top there, was big. Um, of, of all the different vehicles you've driven, is there one that you just enjoy the driving experience more than any other? Well, uh, just this last week, I would say it was one of them. I drove the, in, LMP3 that had a LS swapped onto it. So about 185 horsepower extra than the standard LMP3 car. And that thing was a blast. Um, you know, I've driven a lot of LMP3s, but having that extra power to carry more speed into the high speed stuff, uh, this was at VIR. So, you know, just big speed through the S's and 10 and, um, set my personal fastest lap around there. And, um, so that thing was pretty, pretty fun. You know, before that, I would have said probably a stock car or something because of the horsepower on a little tire and managing all that uh, is a good challenge. You know, I really enjoy but doing that with all the downforce, I think, is also pretty fun. So I have to ask, what is your personal record at VIR? Uh, we did a 137 last week on the full course. <laughs> So getting pretty close to the LMP one record from a few we'll, years we'll ago. We'll have some people listen to this and they're, they're not going to understand how that's possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, just like uh, as a little bit of a reference point, like a Porsche cup car would do something like a minute 48 or, you know, minute 50, something like that. And most people would consider a fast time, anything under two minutes. And so to do a minute 37 is, is yeah. all in the mail. That's incredible. Um, <laughs> What about, um, let's say you started really young in go-karts and, and let's say somebody's past the go-karting age or, or what have you, how would you suggest people kind of dip their feet in to get, to, to get an understanding of racing to see if they may want to do it? I think the, the big thing is to find a class in your area that is super competitive. So, you know, it doesn't really matter what the car is, um, you know, obviously everybody's got different budgets in mind about what's an appropriate amount of money to spend. Um, but you know, whether it's spec Miata or spec E 46 or, you know, whatever class or racing organization you want to be around and with, and you know, the people that you like or whatever, um, pick a car where there's lots of different cars in, in the class, you know, they always have a good car count and, um, that's what pushes people to go faster. It really doesn't matter what the car is. It just matters that there's a high level of competition and that pushes everybody to get more out of themselves 
And that's how you learn the race craft and the car control to really maximize everything. And once you get a good baseline and something like that, you can take that skill set anywhere and drive faster cars and you know, whatever your, your goal is. But um, I always adjust something like that, Spec Miata, Spec E46, Spec E30. Um, those spec classes really bring out the talent. So they, they bring out the talent, but that's the other thing is the cars are such that it's not just the car that makes the difference. It's really the driver that makes the difference, which is really kind of the definition of a competitive group, right? Yeah. And, you know, some of those classes, you know, the cars have more adjustability or less. And so you can also get into, you know, the driver that sets it up the best or you know, manages how they set up the tire better, you know, whatever. Um, or some of them are more, you know, shut, kind of funneled down into one setup that's effective. Like Speggy 30 can't do a whole lot to the car to make it different than any others. Um, a few of them you can do more and like TA2 is basically a spec class, but there's a lot more variation, how you can set up a car, how you manage a tire, all that. So, um, there's a lot of different levels and, you know, but if you're just purely talking about how to get a car around a track, you know, spec E30 or spec Miata, something in the, you know, the slower categories usually is what is just purely driver focus. Got it. Well, I wanted to make sure you get a chance to shout out to any of your sponsors. And then also let's make sure people know exactly how to get a hold of you. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anybody can go to mikeskeen.com or my YouTube channel. Um, look for Mike Skeen Racing on you know, basically any of the social media platforms and find me there. Um, and of course, big thanks to Team Portsmouth Motorsports and AMG for the GTD program. And uh, hopefully we'll have some more sponsors to show off there uh, pretty soon. Awesome. Mike, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. I can't wait to get this out to share it with folks. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I want to thank you for listening to Driven to Compete. It's been a pleasure sharing this episode, and I hope we've provided some inspiration and entertainment along the way. If you like the content, please share and like, but I have one ask for everyone listening. I would appreciate more than anything to add you to my weekly newsletter. Simply visit my website, driventocompete.com, and you'll see a form to get on my newsletter where I share exclusive content and giveaway swag. Bye.